principally used to help improve the experience of individual customers, but then also to just help innovate in our culinary portfolio. We use data to improve the service for people in a way that tangibly improves their own experience. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Data and the power it wields has made its way into every industry over the last decade. From entertainment to real estate, all the way to the fashion industry, companies leading their industries are using data to create uniquely personalized digital experiences. Brad Klingenberg is the Chief Algorithms Officer at Daily Harvest, the direct-to-consumer brand that helps stock your home with fresh, plant-based foods. Brad leads the data team and is charged with using data and algorithms to create meals Daily Harvest customers will enjoy and keep coming back for. On this episode of The Data Chief, Brad and Cindy discuss the importance of aligning your customers' wants with business value to create unique experiences, and how to go about sourcing data to get the desired outcomes. Brad also dives into his previous work at Stitch Fix and provides insights on how to scale data teams and foster a data culture. Enjoy. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. This week on The Data Chief, I'm excited to introduce everyone to Brad Klingenberg, the Chief Algorithms Officer from Daily Harvest. Brad, welcome. Thank you, Cindy. It's a great pleasure to be here. So, Brad, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Is this also where you grew up? Because I saw you went to University of Colorado. Well, so I, I grew up in Colorado. Um, yeah. Did my undergraduate here in Boulder. Um, it's actually where where my wife and I met um, a while ago now, and so we actually just have come back in uh, the midst of COVID in 2021, and so it's a bit like coming home. That's awesome. So this is our work from anywhere world. And yet Daily Harvest, where is your center of gravity? So Daily Harvest is, the office is in New York. And uh, as travel becomes possible again, I'll certainly be, be spending time there. But I will be based here here in Colorado. Okay, great. We'll meet in New York. I know a really good Indeed. coffee place. <laughs> but now Daily Harvest is not yet a household name. Tell us about Daily Harvest. So Daily Harvest is a company that helps you stock your home with clean and delicious food that's built on real fruits and vegetables and, and ready to enjoy in minutes. And, you know, the, really the mission is for us to take care of food so that food can take care of you. It's really, you know, an amazing company that, that works directly with hundreds of farms to, to source ingredients and create the clean, delicious food that customers love. Great. Now, Daily Harvest is a digital native company. No physical stores, but you're connecting to the physical world with the farmers and your consumers. And I think the other thing that is interesting about it, it is, it's plant-based. So it's going back also to whether it's a new or a growing trend of healthy but convenient eating. So it's not like these Fresh Express and 
Blue Apron or what have you. It's all organic and plant-based, but frozen and ready to go. Absolutely. And so, you know, Rachel Drury, the, the founder and CEO, does this great job talking about making it easier for people to eat the way they want to eat, even though it's harder and harder to do in our, you know, our busy modern lives and both having food that's delicious to eat, but it's also just good for you and made in a way that's good for the world. Yeah. So I, I have to say I had to try it since you were coming here. I loved the spinach and shiitake grits, oh, but then I was, I was reading about this new one, the Brussels sprouts with a hint of Thai mix. So that'll be on the next order. Absolutely. And what's your favorite? Oh, the, there's, there's a number that I love. I have to say, you know, my favorite breakfast these days is the banana and green smoothie, which is just fantastic, particularly with a little bit of peanut butter added. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's an interesting combination. So we're talking a lot about food, but it all goes back to the data and your journey in data. What caught my attention, why I wanted Brad on this show, is you recently joined Daily Harvest from Stitch Fix, another digital native company. That's right. So I'm the fairly new chief algorithms officer at Daily Harvest, but coming from almost seven and a half years at, at Stitch Fix helping to grow the data function there. Much like Daily Harvest, you know, Stitch Fix is a digitally native company and uh, Stitch Fix, you know, notably really is centered on personalization and helping people find things right. that they love and both creating digital experiences and, and working with stylists to make that possible, but also managing inventory in a way that supports it. And Daily Harvest, I think, has many of the same opportunities and really personalizing the experience, helping people get exactly the food that they want in a, you know, an easy delightful way. And then of course, you know, also just developing better food with all, all the data and feedback we get from our customers. Yeah. So personalization using data is a theme in both your jobs. And I haven't used Stitch Fix. So I had to ask one of my colleagues, Risa, who loves Stitch Fix. She said, our entire family uses Stitch Fix. It is the personalization element of surprise and ease of use that keeps me coming back. And her favorite is the kids' clothes, though, is that they use it. Oh, fun. <laughs> yes, yes. But now personalization in a digital world can be both positive, but it also can be, as some people would say, creepy. How do you balance both? Well, so I think it's important to have an alignment where the, the customer actually wants you to get to know them. You know, so Daily Harvest... People are actually really excited to share with us. Yeah. To share, you know, their experience of what they love, to help them, you know, find more things they're going to like in the future, but also to really help us co-create the food with them. And so, you know, Daily Harvest sources the ingredients directly from farms. And, you know, from there, we more or less can create anything that we want to. And, you know, the job is to create food that the people are going to love. And so there's an element of the customer actually helping us create that food through the feedback that they share. And that kind of virtuous alignment in, in sharing that benefits both the customer and, and the company. So the co-creation and the virtuous alignment here, I think this also gets to trust. Mm -hmm. And now tell me what data, when customers share their data with you, do you share it with anyone else? You know, we're proud to be good stewards of, of customer yes. data and, you know, daily harvest is, is not part of the business model to, to sell that data to other people. and. You know, the data is principally used to help improve the experience of individual customers, but then also, you know, as, as we've talked about a little bit, to just help innovate in our, our culinary portfolio. We use data 
could improve the service for people in a way that, you know, tangibly improves their own experience. Yeah. And this was a conversation I was having, well, pretty much with every leader, when you try to personalize, if you keep the customer in the center, this works, but when there is not that trust or the trust has been broken. So Dana Rollison, the CAO at the Moffitt Cancer Center, we were talking about patient data, but a financial services CAO said to me, you know, it's hard to personalize. We have GDPR, we have CCPA, a lot of some of the personalization or some of the digital information, both on the iPhone apps has been removed. So is this more just if the customer shares their data with you directly and you mainly rely on that, it's safe, that trust is not broken? Absolutely. And I I mean, I think, you know, more broadly in, you know, technology, you know, there's an increasing awareness of of privacy and the ways in which data, you know, is shared across companies and for reasons that, you know, customers might not intend. I think the idea of actually sharing with a company that has a value proposition around getting to know you and helping you find things that you love is quite different. And that's why we see, uh, you know, people so excited to share with us, both both through, you know, feedback, you know, built into the product, but also across, you know, all sorts of social media channels and just in general, people excited for us to better know them. Now, Brad, your role as the chief algorithms officer, where do you report into at Daily Harvest? I have the privilege of working uh, directly for Rachel, our founder and CEO. Okay. So talk about data-driven impact. Clearly that's at the right level. Do you also have a CDO, a chief data officer? We don't. And so the chief algorithms officer role that, that, that I'm playing is something of a centralized data function that includes you know, data engineering and analytics and a more nascent investment in you know, machine learning and data science that is you know, part, part of why I'm joining the company. It's a central data function to really you know, serve the strategic ways that the business uses data. Yeah. And so I was having a conversation with both Tom Davenport and Randy Mm -hmm. being voices in the industry, Mario Faria from Gartner. Eventually, do we think the role of the chief data officer will go away because it's part of everyone's job? And if you're a digital native, as you are, and as you have worked in multiple companies, is there not the need for so much a separate data person and analytics and algorithm person. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I don't want to extrapolate too broadly across many different industries where, you know, there certainly, you know, could be places where the collection of data and storage of it is itself such an undertaking that, you know, it makes sense to, to treat that as its own function. I think in many situations, you know, certainly in my experience, there's a lot of virtue in having different aspects of working with data centralized in, in the same place. So folks thinking about how to transform data, how, how to store it, how to, how to effectively serve data products, working you know, alongside folks who are doing analysis or, or creating algorithms and really taking a fairly holistic view of, of the role that data can play in the business rather than siling it too strictly by, by function. Yeah, I think it's that holistic view for the business impact Mm -hmm. that matters most. So as you have recently gone from a large company, Stitch Fix, 5,400 employees, IPO'd in 2017, now to a smaller team, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but Daily Harvest about just over 250 employees <laughs> launched in 2015. What has the difference been in teams? How do you grow talent in this space? And where do you find them in such a competitive environment and world? Well, so, so it's so exciting to be going back to, to a, you know, a smaller team. And I think really it's a reflection of the, the scope of the problems that have, that have been solved so far, but not a reflection of the scope of the problems that, that can be solved. And so certainly when I joined Stitch Fix in, in 2013, you know, it was just a handful of folks, including myself, working on data. And over the years, you know, we saw that grow to a fairly large team. You know, at Daily Harvest, I think, you know, we're actively hiring. Uh, so I have to put in a plug for for uh, for roles yes, on the team, <laughs> actively hiring for folks to join us and help, you know, build the products that are really going to help define the future of the company. And, you know, so certainly expect the team to grow as we take on, you know, more and more data problems, introduce algorithmic solutions in, in different places of the business. And in terms of finding people, so, you know, as you know, it's uh, it's a wonderful time to be a data scientist and a hard time to hire them. And, uh, you know, there's just abundant opportunity, certainly in technology companies, but across so many industries for folks who analyze data, you know, build models, generally use data to, to help improve businesses. And so a big part of, of hiring people is really helping to show the impact that their role can have on a business and giving them the room to, to be creative and really bring data to bear on some of the most important problems in the business. Yes, bring data to bear. That's what I say is one of my passions is bringing data to bear on a business problem. Well, you talk about recruiting and when you joined Stitch Fix. So I often refer to the data and analytics space as the data and analytics fishbowl and looked back over your career. You did a stint at Netflix when you met somebody that I interviewed for one of my first books, Eric Coulson. Yes, absolutely. So I had the, the pleasure of meeting Eric at Netflix, where I worked part-time while I was in graduate school uh, with, with essentially the recommendations team there. Okay. And then, <laughs> so then you two worked together at, at Stitch Fix. A another interesting intersect, you also served on, or, or maybe you still serve, for Open Door, a consultant for Open Door, who was also just a guest on the Data Chief. So is this all the digital people just <laughs> hang out? <laughs> all the digital data people hang out. Our, our worlds do intersect in, in interesting ways. And yeah, I, I had a lot of fun advising um, for Open Door a couple of years back as they were starting to develop, you know, the, the data science function there. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So you mentioned the data engineering and getting the data house in order. There's also the data science making, operationalizing <laughs> the algorithms, which I would assume is core to the personalization. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's sometimes useful to think of there being a hierarchy of the ways that you can use data. So often, like the first thing you need to do is have it and then, then to you know, be able to, to look at it, interrogate it in different ways, to learn insights and useful things. And then and, you know, beyond that, actually, at some point, being able to use it in automated ways that, that you know, really plays a very active role um, in, in digital products and businesses. Yeah. So when you think about that spectrum, so just interrogate it and looking at it, let's say the non-data science people, maybe it's the marketing people or the supply chain professionals within Daily Harvest, how data literate would you say they are? 
quite good. Um, you know, it's a, it's a culture, you know, a pretty empirical culture where people want to use data to help make good decisions. And when joining the company, happy to be joining, you know, an already existing team of, of great analysts and, and data engineers that have really created a very accessible, useful ecosystem around, you know, reporting and dashboards and, and measurement generally. Right. And so you haven't had to overcome some of these barriers that, let's say, non-digital mm-hmm. traditional organizations have had of poor data literacy. Like there's a statistic that only 22% of business people are confident with data. Where would you peg that number in either of these companies that you've most recently worked at? You know, I've had the good fortune to work at companies that, that you know, have champion that kind of data-driven empirical culture, you know, from the top. And, you know, so I think both of them are very high across, you know, different functions. And, you know, I do think there, you know, there is a special role for actual data functions to play in that and in helping companies reason about uncertainty and, and understand measurement and experimentation. And so, you know, there's, there's always room for bringing, you know, more science to things, but I've been quite fortunate to, to work in places where the standard is already fairly high. Yeah, or maybe that's what attracted you to them. Certainly. So if if you think back, your undergraduate was in math. You eventually went to Stanford a PhD in statistics. Is that right? That's right, yes. Yes. <laughs> so you're one of those unicorns. And you actually pursued this before Tom Davenport and Dr. Patel came out with that famous HBR mm-hmm. No, that said the data scientist would be the sexiest job of the 21st century. So you were pursuing this even before that. Yes. And I, I would, you know, emphasize not due to any foresight on, on my part. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> as you noted, I, I, I studied applied math as an undergraduate and really found problems with data. Interesting. And, you know, that led to yeah. studying statistics. And it happened again, you know, not through careful planning, but just through following my interests that it's been a just unbelievably good time to be to be somebody interested in data and yeah. the, the world that uses it. Yeah, I l- I lucked out too. Somebody asked me how did I ever <laughs> fall into this space. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about the technology. How a digital native architects maybe the data environment. So first off, I'm going to assume it's fully cloud, mm-hmm. not your own data centers. Can, are you allowed to share like which? infrastructure as a service and cloud data platform you're using? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, so daily harvest, we're using Google's cloud offering GCP, you know, it's just fixed, uh, you know, we, we worked with Amazon and AWS and in both cases, the company was, was built that way more or less from the beginning. Right. Right. So, and have you found a difference in finding talent expertise in either of these platforms? Certainly there are, deep experience that people can accumulate working with with various platforms, particularly on the engineering side of things. I think generally on you know data science, machine learning, you're able to be productive in in many, many different environments. And you know, increasingly you find people who are, you know, coming into industry over the past few years are are coming with an expectation that they're going to be working in an environment like this. That's certainly what they've they've worked with in school or, or in other training they might have had. Um, and so it's actually increasingly uh, the expectation that you'll work with one of these major cloud providers. 
and a variety, being mm-hmm. able to navigate across whichever. So, so changing the technologies faster, let's say, than in an on-premises world. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I think it's it's certainly you know it's become just a very core aspect of a lot of engineering and, and data science workflows and tools, and you know, there's just an increasingly mature ecosystem of tools built around everything that you might need to do with the cloud. Yeah. So the ecosystem, I think for sure, is what matters um, increasingly in the cloud. Now, if you think about how you architect this, what are your thoughts around either the data lake, the data warehouse, or increasingly we talk about the data lake house or data fabric? Is there a particular area you believe in more? I mean, I don't think uh, abstractly I, I, I would have a strong, strong point of view. I think you know, many different companies have different sorts of business that are different sorts of data that, that differ in in type and in quantity. Um, and often, you know, the the approaches you'd you'd want to use uh, would differ, um, you know, based on based on the circumstances. I mean, I I would say, you know, certainly like data warehouses have been in a very useful aspect of almost every environment I've worked in. Um, and so, okay. it's, you know, it's fairly typical, you know, to to get some leverage there. I'm not sure there's a, a universal universal strategy that would fit fit all companies. Yeah. So I think it's the right architecture for the right use case and audience. Do you see a difference in, let's say, the personalization algorithms or what you operationalize versus maybe what your marketing and supply chain analytics or managers are looking at? It, does it matter if you're doing that diagnostic analytics? Why is this happening? What are descriptive? What's going on versus then the advanced and data science? Yeah. So, so it's a good question. I think, you know, there's certain different use cases kind of will lead to different types of solutions. So certainly for operational metrics and kind of real-time intraday alerting and monitoring, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of solutions that can kind of help you keep an eye on things kind of real-time intraday. There's an enormous amount of work that many businesses do that, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be computed more than once a day. And, you know, there's different workflows that generally, you know, more flexible and more convenient to work with when, when you don't need, you know, to have something updating to monitor something, you know, in production, for example. But then, of course, you, you have many, you know, many algorithms that are employed and, you know, kind of intensively real-time applications that, that you know, customers interact with. And, and those, like, you know, any real-time engineering system, you know, require, require some real-time monitoring. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you think about the data that customers share with you and the internal data that you have, what role does external data or third-party data play, if any? Certainly just a secondary, secondary role. The principal data that, you know, we think about from a personalization perspective are things that, you know, customers are actually choosing to share with us, either through, you know, a daily harvest, you can leave ratings and reviews and you know, a lot of information about what, what you like. And, you know, I'm excited as we continue to uh, invest in personalization for there, there to be, you know, even richer ways for people, people to share data. And so, you know, just as a general principle, relying on, you know, things people choose to share with us rather than, you know, information that you might, you might try to get through a third party. Or glean elsewhere. So maybe it is like, is it also scraping reviews from social media websites? What are they saying about your brand or what are they saying about 
preferred flavors like our Brussels sprouts, the uh, trending, the trending health food. Yeah. And there's really, you know, kind of an energetic, healthy engagement with Daily Harvest customers and the brand on a variety of social media channels. And, you know, all of that is, um, you know, useful input to the, the business as well, of course. Okay, good. So that external data you're leveraging. That makes sense. If you think back, you know, you've worked with a lot of cool companies. Has there ever been a time when you were innovating here and you just thought, I can't solve this problem, this is too hard, or this won't work? And if so, how did you navigate through it? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think this is actually, you know, perhaps like an interesting segue from from the previous question about, about data. I mean, so certainly in my time at Stitch Fix, so there were times where you'd want to predict something or, or you know, want to be able to develop a capability that would help drive a product um, and, you know, not, not have as much data as you might like. Um, and so, you know, a good, good example of this at Stitch Fix was as people get fixes and, and lead feedback, you learn about their preferences and ways to let you, you know, better serve them over time. But, you know, many clients are interacting with the, the company only once a month or, you know, kind of a similar, similar cadence. And you want to accelerate what you're learning about them to be able to, to serve them better faster. And so Stitch Fix, you know, very successfully launched, you know, a digital product called Style Shuffle, which allowed people to, to rate things and create, you know, essentially this new source of data that could complement reviews and, and, and feedback on actual clothes that were sent to people. One way I think about you know, a theme related to your question is often, you know, often getting new data is actually the answer. You know, in most cases, getting newer, better data can, can be much more effective than, you know, creating a better model or, or being, you know, a little bit more clever in, in how you're using that data. Yeah. So getting newer data to answer or better answer a business question. So talk us through how you made that happen, because a lot of times people will only start, well, more often they start bottoms up. What data do we have? Mm -hmm. Can we do anything interesting with it? Rather than top down, here's my business question. What do I need to be able to answer that? Take us through how you went from that business question to actually getting that data. I think both are important. So exploring, you know, the data that you have and what it enables you to do is certainly, certainly important. I think it's, it's well worth taking a step back though and thinking about, you know, what data could we have? Um, you know, what data would make this easier? It's Stitch Fix and, you know, certainly now at Daily Harvest, we benefit from that kind of virtuous alignment that I alluded to earlier, where generally speaking, if there's something, you know, that would help us do a better job with customers, there's an aligned incentive for them to share with us. And so you could think about changing products um, or, you know, doing surveys in a way that like provides that data. There are a lot of cases though, where, you know, you just can't get more data. And in those cases, you know, it's more about being more clever about what you can do with what you have. So this wasn't a failure. This was a roadblock, and you went and created another data product out of it. It sounds like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot, a lot of people at Stitchfix made this like a really enormous, successful experience that provides not only data but a wonderful engagement opportunity for for clients as well. Great. So we've gone to the past. If we look ahead in the future, what do you think will be the biggest trends in data? and AI and algorithms, or what would you like your legacy to be on the industry? That's a great question. I think a lot of my personal satisfaction in getting to work with you know, companies like Daily Harvest is really impacting the business in, in a first order way and making customers happier, 
making, of course, the business more successful. And a lot of that comes from thinking about what are ways that data can be employed in not just, you know, a small optimization here or there, but in, in the core product. Um, so, so really making the collection of feedback and recommendations and the utilization of that data, you know, central, central to the product. And so I think, you know, certainly I expect we'll see more examples of this, you know, there are industries with, you know, my career alone, you have fashion and now food. Yeah, I am certain we'll see this play out in other places. And, you know, particularly like is the ecosystem of companies that that make it easy to take a model off the shelf and deploy it fairly easily. The barrier to introducing, you know, algorithmic components to digital products is, is increasingly low. Um, and, and so I think it'll, it'll invite further adoption in a lot of places. Yeah. So do you believe in algorithmic marketplaces? Do you think that idea will ever take off? Like there, there's been a few startups and exchanges that have tried to start this, but not yet much adoption. It's an interesting idea. I mean, much of you know making algorithms successful is, is the devil in the details and in, in making sure that things are adapted to the particular you know structure of the problem and business that that you're working in. And so I think there's a lot of work that goes to making making something successful in a particular setting. But drawing on tools that are largely open source and you know freely available, and even a lot of companies you know trying to make it easier for people to use things. So I think you know a marketplace would rely on a certain sort of scarcity and transferable value of algorithms that would run a little contrary to that. So I, I'm not so sure about that. I want to surface like two hot topics in our industry, if you're willing to go there. But do you, what do you think around AI ethics and biases in algorithms? Yeah, an increasingly, increasingly important topic. And I think it is quite easy for bias to be introduced through the underlying data that's used to, to train an algorithm or through the general process around its development or evaluation. And so I think, you know, this is a, an area that's had a lot more attention in, say, the last five years. I think, you know, we'll start to see some, some good practices and methodologies, you know, emerge um, to, to think about, you know, doing what we can to combat that bias. But it's a, it's a, it's a hard problem given that a lot of it comes comes from the data that, that that people are using to do things. Absolutely. It starts in the data. I think I probably overemphasize the need for diversity mm-hmm. in the team to recognize the gaps and the biases in the data. I think that's only one part of the solution. I don't know what other parts of the solution are bigger. Certainly that is very important. You know, I, I think there's an emerging tool set of tools to help diagnose bias to evaluate for it. You know, it's quite easy in, you know, running an experiment to look at aggregate results and completely miss disparate impact across different subgroups. And there's settings where that might be a small problem. There's settings where that's actually quite a big problem. I think having better methods to to first measure and then minimize the impact of that is is something that's developing and will be will be important. Yeah. Do you think regulation is the main way to solve for this or just another aspect to kind of level the playing field and protect people that might be hurt by AI? I mean, I think there's certainly settings um, where regulation probably probably is part of the solution. I think like one of the canonical ones is, you know, hearing about nominally more objective data-driven, you know, solutions and 
like sentencing guidelines and criminal justice and then places like that, I, th- I think clearly there's likely to need to be a regulatory component. In other settings, I think it, it actually behooves companies and in a lot of different industries to do a good job recognizing like how different algorithms impact different people. And so I think it's not something that necessarily has to be imposed. I think as as people become more aware of the potential downside and and things that they can do to help help fix it, there will be places where it's actually just in the best interest of the algorithm developer to to minimize bias. Yeah. If you think about when you were studying this and also I believe you served as a board advisor at Udacity for a while. Do you think these things should be part of the core curriculum for data professionals coming into the market now, or maybe even going back to school? How important is it that we address these things at the education and certification level? Yes, I, I think it'll be increasingly important. And I think, you know, there's a moral dimension to it, of course. And, you know, in thinking about like the different outcomes it might drive. I think there's also a lot of statistics, for example, is, is about like not tricking yourself um, and making sure that like you're identifying causal relationships and, you know, thinking about ways that structures and patterns and data might lead to the wrong decisions. And so I think it fits in nicely, actually, with like a larger tradition of just being really critical about the way that we, we use data and thinking about correlations that might exist in data that, you know, we don't want to perpetuate or, you know, are not actually useful um, in, in the task at hand. So I think a lot of more education, you know, is, is probably valuable. And it, I think there's some thematically similar data science statistics topics that it fits in nicely with. So the other timely topic, if you think you know data, <laughs> do you compare notes with your people ops, your HR? And if so, how, I mean, we're struggling or not struggling. We're thinking about this right now. And I talked to um, CDOs and people analytics officers, this concept of a vaccine passport as we bring people back to work and yet the huge implications of privacy and how does an employee share their health data with their employer? Is it stored? Do you not store it? Use concepts like blockchain. Is this something that you engage in these conversations, educating HR or your head of people on these topics or not yet? Are we too early here? So generally, I do think you know, in my career, there has been a lot of interest from from the people team leaders and in partnering and thinking about how to best use data. And, and of course, you know, there's the people analytics world um, that, you know, is, is increasingly important to people in HR teams at, at different companies. And yeah, I, you know, I think like one of the kind of right line distinctions between, you know, many other uses of data at a company is, is privacy and the fact that the data is about employees and it is often, you know, quite intensely personal data. It's, you know, not something you want to throw in a data warehouse along with everything else. No, I mean, it's, exactly. it's something quite, quite different. And so, so typically it makes sense for there to be kind of a special category for, for things like that. Then that may mean that, you know, it's not the usual data science team that works on those problems all the time, but just maybe just serving as an advisor if there's questions about techniques or, you know, evaluating different solutions. Um, but, but I, you know, I think of it as just so particularly sensitive it's almost its own own category. Yes, it is its own category. And I am concerned that right now we're wrestling Mm -hmm. with this as a country. And like, of course, airlines want this fixing. But I often think, you know, people analytics is the last use case 
underfunded, unless you're in professional services. And if I think about the deeply personal data, maybe when you're hiring somebody, <laughs> you do your drug test, you passed, that's never stored anywhere. But now, you know, with COVID, the, the vaccine and, and worker safety, also if you're, you know, packing things in a warehouse or whatever, it's, it's like a new level of data and concerns that I think as an industry, we don't yet have answers, but I am concerned that people are not even thinking about it yet. And yet it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit everyone like a ton of bricks when <laughs> these vaccines are there and, and we bring people back to offices, manufacturing, of course, has been dealing with it for a while. Absolutely. So. Yeah. A, a tricky space for sure. So Brad, we'll do a hard pivot. Tell me who inspires you? How do you keep up to date with this fast moving industry? Is it podcasts? Is it reading? Is it networking? Which conferences? How do you keep up? Very personally, I, I tend to, to learn from people around me. Um, and so, you know, really let's try to build a team of people who are smarter than I am and reading blogs and going to conferences and there's a mix of a rapidly evolving kind of bleeding edge of high performance, you know, techniques and models and, and domains. And then kind of a, this, this interesting mix of very old ideas from statistics about reasoning about uncertainty and thinking more first principles and getting to learn from all the smart people I get to work with is probably the principal way that I learn things these days. Yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. Are you a reader? Have you had a favorite book in 2020 or what you most want to read in 2021? Yes. So yeah, I, I, I love to read particularly nonfiction and historical nonfiction. Big history, I, th I think it's kind of a fun genre. There's a book I, th I think called Origins you know, that I read, uh, I think probably in the early part of 2020, but it was, it was really fascinating about the role of geography in human evolution and uh, is, you know, advancing the, the idea that it played a big role in the development of human intelligence, which is which is fascinating. Okay, fascinating origins. All right, we'll have to note that down. And Brad, as you look back in the last month or the last year, you know, a tough year for a lot of people, but we have to keep our humor. So picture a scene, what made you most laugh out loud, like true belly laugh, tears running down your cheeks? I have two young children, um, and I think watching my three-year-old navigate the world um, and some of the hilarious things he says is probably, you know, my daily inspiration and you know, bring some levity into the long, strange year we've had. Good. Brad, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for being with us on The Data Chief. Well, likewise, Cindy. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. Join her on LinkedIn Live the first Thursday of each month for a live version of The Data Chief, where she'll share best practices and take your questions live. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. 
With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.